Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, Andrew. How are you? <laughs> it's a big day your- in, this, in this country, J.J. It's, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but today is actually National Sandwich Day. Did you know that? That's a real thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is a big day. I guess it's why everyone is so on edge here. People are just like not sure of what sandwiches they want to order when they get to the counter. Well, aren't, uh, aren't, aren't, aren't you the guy that, that, that hums and haws that's never quite sure when you look at the board what sandwich you want? It's a big decision. Yeah, I know. And I actually went to a deli near me the other day and ordered a prosciutto mozzarella, which I was so excited about. Solid choice. I know. And the prosciutto was awful. And it was a day ruiner. It was like mushy. And oh. it was and it was too chewy, and it and it it really hurt the whole feel of that day for me. Uh, so oh. now today being official National Sandwich Day, I'm I'm hoping after this podcast, I'm going to go out and make a better choice, and um, and that will hopefully change the complexion of my day. I've uh, been with you when you've made a poor choice in sandwich, um, and it was bad because it was pre-podcast. The U.S. were playing. And uh, it just soured the uh, the atmosphere in the studio. It soured the podcast, honestly. And um, it stuck with you for weeks afterwards. I could just tell that you you, you had a problem with this. But how, much, how say- much do you miss those days, though? Like, because because uh, the U.S. men they they've got a game coming up uh, in like a week and a half against Wales, and it just like seeing that on the calendar, it just immediately took me back to like the those nine o'clock games where you and I would meet up at the studio at seven go get food, hang out, watch the game, record at like midnight. Yeah. And like in the moment, we're like, oh my God, we're not going to get out, get back home to like two in the morning. And now like, what what wouldn't you give for this US-Wales match for to be getting home at two in the morning after watching the game and, and having dinner together? Getting getting mildly abused by such luminaries as Michael Kay asking me, you're going to be riding the D train home tonight just to watch this soccer? Are you insane? <laughs> you know those kind of questions. I miss those days. I, I I really, I really do. But today, Andrew is, you know, it's election day. Oh, and, um, I I I've just got this feeling right now. I just want to put it out there. I just want to say it because it would be disingenuous. It would be false of me not not to say these things. Like this podcast never seems small or insignificant to me because the people who listen to it, always remind me how much it means to them. But today, Andrew, I got to say, it feels weird because like you could argue the future of democracy in our republic is on the line. So here am I to talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his diamond formation. No, we're actually breaking format and we are your home for all election coverage here in 2020 presidential election. We are more than qualified to do this on the fly. Uh, I hate to interrupt you, Andrew. I hate to interrupt you. Uh, Mariupa County. We've got a count from there. First of all, it's Maricopa. Oh, Marzipan County. I don't care. (laughs) I actually care deeply. (laughs) Yeah, it is one of those rare years, JJ, where Halloween, the election, and National Sandwich Day all collide. Oh, it's what a time. What a time to be alive. It really is. Uh, Well, we're talking about the U.S. men and how they've got a game coming up against Wales. We'll start there, and and we'll get into the Premier League, uh, a little bit of MLS, and a great mailbag. Again, you guys continue to hit home runs with the the mail that you have been sending in um, over the last few months for the mailbag segment. Uh, So that's later. But the U.S. men, so this was supposed to initially be a conversation just kind of about uh, Chelsea 
and what happened with Christian Pulisic during the warmups where, you know, we've all seen the footage by now of him going down in pregame warmups and then kind of furiously throwing his jersey off, trudging off the field, limping off the field. And it was just another one of those moments that kind of sends a chill down the the spine of American fans and Chelsea fans. And I, I would hope even just neutral soccer fans that enjoy watching great players play, uh, you know, it sends a chill down your spine everywhere watching this because it's just, it's this moment that is now kind of on repeat for many of us who follow him uh, and who, and who love him. And so, uh, you know, it, we got some great news today from Frank Lampard that apparently the, the severity of the injury is mild, very mild, very minor. He will not be available for their champions league for their midweek match. Uh, however, the U S men released their lineup or their roster today for the upcoming November 12th match against Wales. And I was, I'll be honest, I was stunned and pleasantly surprised to see his name on it. I think that's, uh, sir, I almost don't get it. Like, is it that important that he be available for uh, this upcoming friendly? While he, when you know we're, we've all just witnessed him have to not play in a game because of right. a, a hamstring injury after just missing time because of a hamstring injury. Um, but I guess I'll just choose to take it in the most positive way possible that he's that he's fine. Well, I, the scan showed, according to Lampard, a very minor injury to his hamstring. And the sentence or the part of this sentence that that got my hopes up were he's already back outside. So there's a suggestion that whatever happened was very minor. What I deduce from that is that it was maybe precautionary to miss this game, but now he's fine and he's going to be available for selection for the forthcoming internationals. And so look, there was there was real panic about this and, and almost a sense of re- resignation, particularly amongst our listeners who have um, followed Pulisic through our boy Wonder Watch and his... Look, we said that the biggest inhibitor to his career would be durability. That's what we fear. Now, we don't have medical reports. We don't know if this is something that he's going to grow out of, but the evidence is there already going right back to his last season with Dortmund. Um, so we're, we're, this concern is normal. Um, and by the uh, way, it, it's worth noting though, not to cut you off, but it's worth noting that this is not just some sort of American insecurity. Okay. Frank Lampard referenced Christian Pulisic's, he didn't use this word, but he references somewhat, you know, fragile history with injuries, with muscular injuries. Um, so this is a thing that you know not just American fans and uh, are nervous about. This is something that you know Frank Lampard has acknowledged that at Chelsea they're going to have to manage this. Um, you know whether that means I don't know what that means exactly. If it's you know just being careful in in weeks where there are multiple games, um, you know managing his minutes. I'm not sure exactly. He's a young player, and you, you know you would think that this is the time when he should be able to to be that guy who can go out and play in multiple matches a week. Uh, but you know he no. may just have to be handled a little bit differently. Right, and and you know uh, Steven Gerrard uh, had had injuries to specific areas throughout his career, and particularly as a younger player. And sometimes what you said is is the way forward. Sometimes it's not possible to overcome them, but it is possible to manage them and play through it in uh, with, with various techniques and and hopefully that uh, Pulisic finds whatever whatever works for him, and that Chelsea do too. But on the whole. Looking at this squad for these upcoming friendlies, how exciting is it? 
it's a really fun squad just looking at the the team sheet, looking at the names on there. And it's funny too, JJ, because like we've been so aware of Gio Reyna that like when I read the sentence today that that he's uncapped, I was like, no, no, no that can't be. And, and then you think it's like, wait a minute, he's he has not yet played for this team. It's crazy. Like we've been so aware of him for so long. So, you know, we finally get to see him uh put on the senior team jersey. I I'm very curious how Bearhalter will play this. Um, right. Like, will he just, will he just straight up put like the roster out there? Obviously this is, these are only players who are playing abroad. There are not MLS players involved with this. So, you know, that could change things one way or another if a world cup or a gold cup rolled around, but is he going to just put a roster out there as though this was like a, a gold cup semifinal? Well, we'll actually just see the team and the lineup that he would that he would hypothetically use if there was actual importance to this game. I kind of hope he does. Well, he has to, surely. I mean, this obviously this pandemic was not a device of Greg Berhalter to ensure that he could look at his European starlets in isolation. But that's what's happened. So take advantage of it. I would be raging if we didn't see, you know, some iteration of a forward line that looks like Christian Pulisic. Um, Gio Reyna, Tim Way, uh, however he wants to do it. Does he want to play three? Does he, you know, in behind the central striker? How does he want? Like, this, go nuts, Greg. Go nuts, but play all these big guys. This is a golden opportunity where you'll be criticism free. You will not get this again. Or we please, we actually, <laughs> we hope you won't get it again because we hope that travel and everything will be normal again. But use this. Get, get, Get freaky, get excited, get excited about this lineup. I'm excited about this lineup. Like, it's such an interesting mix of players that have been called up because you've got the guys we've been waiting forever to see play together. You know, we've got Reyna, Pulisic, like I said, Tim Weah. You look at the midfield. Like, if it's in your mind to see how a midfield would work with Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney in it, go for it. If it's in your mind that, you know, Richie Ledesma has scored at the weekend in his senior debut, or not scored, he's he's assisted in his senior debut for PSV Eindhoven, and you want to see how he'll work out, put him in straight away. Just do it. I, I absolutely encourage that. And also you've got guys that I'm super curious about that it's very hard to watch and know anything about. Um, Nicholas Gaiacchini. I, I, I mean, he's playing at Cannes. He scored two goals this season in the second tier of French football. Love to see him come off the bench, see what he can do. But there's a there's a whole group of U.S. soccer fans out there for whom this is their dream, their absolute dream. It may not have come about the way they wanted in the midst of a global pandemic, but this is their dream. All these young, talented players, all together, all available. Um, Berhalter can't mess this up. Well... <laughs> American soccer fans will find the ways in which he did. I I promise you that. It's funny because you're so right when you talk about how this is this looking at this this squad right now. This is the dream of so many um, American soccer fans that that cover this so closely and follow this so closely. One of our favorite Twitter accounts at USMNT only. Ooh. So I I saw yesterday Ooh, he crossed the line last night. <laughs> I didn't see last night. I only he, saw he yesterday the line like, from from informative to insane fan account. Oh, is that well? Yesterday, at like four in the afternoon <laughs> or so, they had a post up that just that it, it was like a quote tweet off of the U.S. tweet saying that the squad would be announced later that night. Uh, and off of that, USMNT only tweeted uh, announce Musa, 
And I was just kind of like, oh, haha, yeah, that wouldn't that be cool? And then they did. Uh, Yunus Musa, who is playing at Valencia, just 17 years old. He started six of the seven matches, I believe, so far this season for Valencia in La Liga. Like I said, he's 17. Uh, also has um, eligibility for England and Ghana. Has captained uh, England at under 18. Right, which is not a small thing. It's, um, it's significant. But he has accepted this invite to, to come up with the U.S. men. So, um, again, th- what this means, it can only be promising – the fact that the U.S. have extended him the invite, he's accepted it, and that he's going to play with these guys, he's going to get to know these guys and, and gel with them in a way that maybe he had done with the England uh, under-18s as well, and now he'll have a chance to get to know some of these American players better. Uh, and that that can only be good. Um, now, for the for like the American soccer fans that are already throwing a party and that you know confetti came raining down from their ceilings last night when this was announced, I would tell you to maybe pump the brakes a little bit. But it can only be good, and it will be fun, uh, assuming that he does play in this game. Look, look he, he's he's evaluated it and he has nothing to lose. Literally nothing to lose. He, he it's, it's a friendly and the new rules mean that he could technically play three qualifiers for us and then not play another one. And then after the age of 23, will be he'll be able to change his mind again. So it's not quite as rigid as the old structure was under the new rules. Um it's 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 quite something. He's in my mind. What I'm hoping for is that he loves being in this camp with these players as much as Sergio Dest did coming up through the youth ranks. Because being with those guys, being friendly with those guys, and the atmosphere of the of these of those youth camps had such an influence on Sergio Dest's decision when he talked about joining the U.S. Men's National Team, or sorry, declaring for them. Rather, it ha- it really did seem to have an influence. And I'm hoping that the same thing rubs off on Musa and he feels the same way and de- decides to cl- declare immediately for us. N- never right. mind playing in a, qual- in, a, in, in a competitive game. The key here is like Greg Berhalter, in addition to being their manager, he also needs to be like the, the head of recruitment in that he's got fu- he's got to identify like, okay, who are my, who are my most awesome, cool guys on this team? that everyone loves. Okay. Mm. And and then like those guys need to be identified. And then, you know, players like Musa need to be like inserted into that group, however they can, like whether that just be like training drills, Hey Musa, go off with the Weston McKinney group or like, you know, roommate, like whatever. Uh, I don't know exactly how roommates and things like that'll work amongst COVID. Um, but like, you know, if they're, if they're assigned like different spots to sit for dinner, like, let's just like move him. Let's like shuffle Musa, uh, Eunice Musa over to like that table over there with those guys. Like that, it, that if it was high school, of this. if it was high school, you'd make sure Eunice Musa was sitting with the quarterback and not with Andrew Gundling in the glee club. First of that's all, a, the glee club unfair. was very cool where I went to school. All right. Uh, JJ, I'm still stuck b- uh, off of something that you said in passing before when you, when you demanded that Greg Bearhalter quote, get freaky. Uh, yeah. I'm just picturing him kind of like on the sidelines with like a, you know, coming out before the match with like a blue mohawk wig, maybe some like fishnet stockings or leather pants, like whatever, whatever your, uh, your vision is of getting freaky. That's now yeah, what I'm going to assume that Bearhalter will look like come match day. Like he walks into the dressing room. There's a blank space on the chalkboard, on the whiteboard where the team should be. And Weston McKinney hopefully asks, what's the team? And he goes, it's whatever you want it to be. 
and then just like walks out, clicks his fingers and walks out. And the team is forced to pick itself. And in doing so, discovers its strengths, its weaknesses and bonds together forever. We have different ideas of getting freaky, I think. <laughs> that, was, that was probably getting esoteric. Uh, oh, okay. But, but no, but seriously, though, I mean, you have the chance now. Does Brooks and Richards work together? Play them together. Mm-hmm. Find out how curious, that works. You know, I'll be curious too about goalkeeper um, Horvath, Stefan. Um, you know that maybe we'll, we might see both of them. I, I will say you're, you're talking. I, I know you kind of just mentioned it as an example with Richards and Brooks, um, but you know the the defense, which for so long for the U.S. has raised so many questions, suddenly it, it's almost becoming a position that you're feeling much better about. And I feel like that happened very quickly. Just seeing, you know, you know I, I think so highly of Reggie Cannon. Uh, who was called into this team? Obviously, Serginio Dest is now starting at fullback for Barcelona. Um, you know, we've we thought highly of Matt Miazga for a while. Anthony Robinson is playing meaningful minutes with uh, with Fulham. Um, so uh, you know, it's it's a position. Look, let's be honest. The U.S. is not always going to be this possession based attack, attack, attack squad. Defend defending is has always been vital to their success. So um, to be in a position now where you see so many young names that you feel good about at that part of the field, it's I don't know. I'm, I'm, I know that we're all probably getting a little bit cuckoo and we're all just like, there's this kind of like this unknown. We haven't seen them play yet. And we've all built them, these players into our minds to be something that, you know, maybe it's more than whatever they actually will be once they all get together. But I I don't know. I I saw this and I was just instantly excited and just so ready to see this, this team in action. I I look at the team, Andrew. I look at its strengths. And one of the strengths, not the team, I look at the squad rather, and I look at its strengths and one of the strengths is, can they keep the ball and are they technically proficient on the ball? And from, from what we've seen so far, the answer is a resounding yes. yes. And there's not many times that me and you have been able to say that in the past X amount of years that we've been watching this team and recording this podcast. It's a great point. It's a great point. Players like obviously Pulisic, Reyna, McKinney. Um, there are nine players, JJ, who were called into this team that are playing in the Champions League, the UEFA Champions League. Uh, that is, uh, that's how fantastic. Dare you, how dare you besmirch, even in that very subtle manner, the glory and the joy of the Scotiabank CONCACAF Champions League. First of all, that was the opposite of besmirching. I needed to make sure that I clarified so people wouldn't think that I was talking about the CONCACAF Champions League. Mm. Clarification was necessary. Um, so, yeah. Um, now, one other ex- kind of extraneous note on this. Uh, Wales, the U.S.'s opponent... Um, are going through a bit of an an unusual situation at manager. Yes, right now, JJ. Um, well, from what we understand, and a statement from the from the Welsh FA has said that Ryan Giggs will not be in charge of the Welsh national team for their upcoming games against the US, Ireland, or Finland because of his arrest on Sunday night, um, due to an assault allegation. I'm reading here from Rob Dawson at ESPN FC. Uh, Wales Football Association has confirmed that Ryan Giggs will not be involved in the squad's upcoming international camp after he was arrested by police on Sunday following a disturbance at his home involving a woman. While Giggs has denied all allegations of assault, the Wales FA said in a statement that it was, quote, mutually agreed he would not be involved as the squad prepares for its international games, which includes a clash against the U.S. men's national team on November 12th. Um, so I don't know how much more is known about this at this time, but we do know that Ryan Giggs will not be managing Wales for that game. Yeah, I haven't seen anything further on that, so I guess we have to just keep on keep tracking it and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, the only other note here, just 
scrolling through this article at ESPN is um, a woman in her 30s sustained minor injuries but did not require any treatment, uh, and a 46-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of assault, uh, and that man being Giggs. Uh, so whatever it is, it's it's a little bit troubling. Certainly, bare minimum, it's unsettling, and uh, I guess you'll just have to let the, the justice system play itself out with how uh, with what happens there. Yeah, and I suppose it's um, the Welsh FA taking swift action. There, you know. Yeah, and the right. I mean, really, the only the only appropriate, really the only decision that they could yeah. come to was this one, um, as they kind of wait and see how that transpires. But yeah, November twelfth. Um, so that would be today's the third. So that would be a week from Thursday. That might have to be. I'm feeling an emergency pod. Oh my! The oh, people man. deserve it. The people, the people had we have been starving them of late. The podcasts have been amazing. What do you, but, first, what do you mean starving them? We've been doing the show every week. I know this but is what we do. De- all I'll say is the demand for podcast two every week has re- it's reaching a crescendo, Andrew. And you must listen to for, the will of the people on this the day of election. Is, the crescendo is you and I saw one guy tweet it that you responded to. That's the well, crescendo. Yeah, but you're not in, on Instagram. That's you're true. not there. You don't. I have you don't burner accounts. You don't know what I'm doing on Instagram. Oh, you've more bur- burner accounts than Durant, <laughs> Brian Colangelo. Um, all right, let's get into some of the Premier League that went on uh, over the course of this weekend. Let's start at Old Trafford. Arsenal go to Manchester United, and they do a thing that they don't usually do, uh, at least in recent times in Manchester at Manchester United, and that is win one nil an Aubameyang penalty. When was the last time they won at Old Trafford, Andrew? Was it 2006? It was 2006. Okay. It was September 17, 2006. All right. Who was number one in the US chart and the Billboard chart on that day? Okay. That was when I graduated college Mm. or I had graduated college a few months earlier. So let me take myself back to those glorious times. All right. 2006. Number one on the Billboard chart. uh, I don't know. It was like Bruno Mars. No, no. Much more talented than Bruno Mars, in my personal opinion, and uh, a much, much bigger star. It was Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake. Oh, wow. From, from the album Future Sex Love Sounds, which was an excellent album from, from Soup to Nuts, a classic. And I actually went to see him live. So there did you go. Really? Yep. Huh. I did. I did indeed. I had to wait. I had to go, huh? What? <laughs> no, Dublin, Andrew. We we, oh. we have to travel to the capital for these things in our fair country. Um, and I had to endure Fergie as the warm-up act. Oof. I mean, outside of London Bridge, she has not many good songs, my friend. But anyway, that's how long it's been. And uh, it, was an inc- it was a terrible game, but <laughs> it was brutal. It really was. It, oh, my God. And also being hung over watching a game as bad as that, just it, it, it gets you angry. The irritation levels are through the roof. I'm I'm happy for Arsenal fans. They found a way a way to get round uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's hitherto impenetrable midfield diamond. But they did. And um and a huge win for Arteta um and, and much needed as well. Oh yeah. And look. This was, if you're Arsenal, be happy with this. I, I've seen some people, I feel like, going maybe a little bit overboard in, in talking about, you know, this is a sign of the, you know, the DNA of Arsenal changing or, or whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of more in line with you in that I thought it was kind of an ugly game. I don't know that they played 
particularly well. I would say if you're Arsenal, what you could be encouraged about, um, A, I know it's only a penalty, but you need Aubameyang to start seeing the ball go into the back of the net. Like sometimes when I play basketball, if you're off and just missing shot after shot, sometimes you just need a free throw. Like you just have to, the the visual of the ball going through the net is important. So maybe that gets him kind of back on the right track. Also, you know, we were a little bit skeptical of the Gabriel and the Thomas Partey signings for Arsenal. We weren't sure just how difference making those would be. Those two guys in particular, I thought played very well, um, which is a great sign. And, um, you know, so like, you know, be happy with um, what, well, that, but more than that, Right. To go into the specifics of that, JJ, with the result, by being bad. like you said, it's not a thing that happens very often. Crucial. Uh, I thought Manchester of- United in some ways did Arsenal some favors. Um, there's two things on this podcast that I, I often talk about how if I were a manager of a team, I would have an irrational disdain for these two things. And I would pull the player off the field immediately, no matter what minute we were in and no matter who did it, if these two things happen. One of which, of course, is the outswinger on free kicks. I despise the outswinger in swingers only. Um, and the other one is what Paul Pogba did to Hector Bellerin uh, in the box, a player who is not really threatening goal in any way. I'm not Bellerin. He's kind of moving away, like away from net towards the end line. It's not really a threatening position. And Pogba just unnecessarily throws a leg in and clips him. Does Bellerin make a lot of it? Yeah, but you know what? He that's exactly what you should do. If you feel contact, then at, from that moment on, go ahead and do what you need to do to get the penalty. I think we've all come to accept that. I don't I wouldn't say that it was a dive or anything even remotely close or resembling that. So, yeah, it's one of those things. If a player is not threatening goal in some way, just don't do the unnecessary. And Pogba yeah, and- and Pogba afterwards, he admitted it was a stupid tackle. But honestly, I, I think he was just trying to prove to people that he was indeed on the pitch. I mean, again, we seem to end up in this these never-ending conversations about Paul Pogba. Why can't why can't it work at United? What do United need to do to make Paul Pogba fit in? And then we end up with the next conversation: Is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a good manager? Well, the diamond worked against PSG. The diamond worked in the second half against Leipzig. You know, we're we're going round in circles here. This just isn't working. You know, this is this is vintage United over the last few seasons. It's funny that you say that though, because this is what this has become. Solshire's reign at Manchester United. Things go bad and they get like he's pushed right up to the edge. And then what happens? Like you, you even referenced this last week on the podcast before the Champions League. You said, yeah, they'll lose to like Burnley or someone and then they'll go out and, and cream PSG. And yep. like this is, let, let me read. So this has now been a hundred matches. This was uh, Solshire's a hundredth match in charge at Manchester United. Hmm. Um, and Sky Sports kind of did a breakdown of just how streaky his time in charge has been. Yes. Uh, Solskjaer's start at Manchester United was electric, winning 14 of his first 17 games, including a dramatic turnaround in the Champions League, last 16 leg at PSG. But that was followed by eight defeats in 12. And then last season, United won just three of their first 12 games, but later in the campaign won on a 19-game unbeaten run as they somehow forced their way into the top four. This is what Solskjaer does. Uh, and I don't know if it's a tweak that he makes or if it's just like if this is pure coincidence, but like he gets right to the edge of losing his job and then they go out and go 19 unbeaten. 
And, and so now we're kind of like we're seeing that again where they're, you know, they're winning Champions League matches against high quality opponents, but then they're coming back to the Premier League at home and looking like this, just limp in their effort. So it's so I think at a certain point you have to decide like is this how you want to live as a Manchester United fan? This kind of like wild roller coaster ride that you're on with this guy. But, but you can't call it progression. You just no, can't call no. It you're progression. you're right. Well, yes and no. You're right. It's not progression in that this is just kind of on repeat now. But it, like he did get them back into the Champions League. Yeah, but I mean, and he's, and he's doing, and they're doing well there. Yeah. But I mean, it took Van Hal a season to do that himself as well in, in a reign that was, spect- you know, by the way, when you say this is on repeat, this isn't just on repeat with him. It's on repeat with other managers as well since since Sir Alex Ferguson. I, I, I just, I looked at the, I looked at the PSG game. I actually thought that was, I thought they played well in that. There, there was, you know, there were signs of a co- coherent patterns of play. And then he's. He's kind of got stuck with this this diamond accommodation in midfield. And then Arsenal found a way through it, Andrew, which is Daniel Storey kind of pointed it out. So Arsenal took advantage of United's diamond by hounding the midfielder in possession, possession who was left isolated by the team's shape. While El Elneny, who deserves a mention, did the dirty work, Thomas Partey played the penetrative forward passes that linked midfield to attack in the absence of a pure chance creator. And what Arsenal did is pretty much what United couldn't do. Like, you know, Pogba is supposed to be this intuitive passer who's who's going to get on the ball, who's going to be able to pick passes and be creative. Couldn't do it. Fred at the base of the midfield couldn't do it either. Like Roy Keane made the point. United, it wasn't just about really tactics and formations and stuff. United were were just really poor in 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 so many crucial areas. Now he questioned their enthusiasm. How do you register enthusiasm? But the difference between the two teams was something uh, Tim Cahill told Roy Keane that even though Arsenal may have lost to Leicester or they've lost games in the past, there's a progression. They know why they're losing. Whereas when you see the streakiness of United, it's random on any day what's going to happen with the formation he puts out. And I think that comes down to the fact that essentially under Solskjaer, Andrew, they're a team that likes to sit deep defend he can organize that and fu- and 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 catch teams on the break i believe Solskjaer can organize that but when it comes to the complicated part of making an offense tick and making passes and being creative he's not able to do it well i just wonder th- does he need to figure out like we talked about when they when they made the vanderbeek signing is it just almost like a surplus of goods in the midfield and he doesn't know how to arrange them how to distribute playing time, how to, you know, who should be playing in which spot in midfield. Is he kind of just figuring this out on yeah, the fly? Possibly. I mean, possibly, but, you know, t- if I think of that last 10, 11 minutes against Arsenal, where Arsenal were sitting deep, and I'm looking for, this is exactly what Solskjaer's nightmare is. No space in behind, almost five across the back, screen in midfield. How How can I pick my way through this? And there's no cohesiveness there. And that's the hardest thing to do. Well, they almost did. Van de Beek hit the uh, hit the post on that um, the shot that was deflected. I mean, was it by by Gabriel onto Leno's head off the off the? No, was post. it off the post and then onto Leno's face, or was it face? One post? Of the, I think I thought it was, it was face post. Post face. It doesn't matter <laughs> either way. But you're right. The, the chances were so few and far between. You had uh, Marcus Rashford played in a beautiful ball early. 
um, to Mason Greenwood, but it was a little bit too difficult of an angle, and Leno was able to make a comfortable save on it. But like, I can, I feel like I can count on on two fingers, really, the number of legitimate chances I felt like yeah. Manchester United had. And this is against an Arsenal team who, coming into this season, you know, defense was supposed to be their weakness, and up to this point, you have to give Arsenal credit in that it, it has really not been. Well, that's that's the thing I like about Arsenal is they're they're more resilient there and and like you said I know we we, we were wondering about their what they'd come up with at centre back and could could they actually improve there but they're organised Andrew and like they don't have to be Wenger's Arsenal passing teams to death and then suddenly one ball in behind and they're in trouble or maybe I should call that late stage Wenger um, they don't have to be like that they can get the ball they can play it out. I, one crucial difference as well, I think, Arsenal's fullbacks were so much more superior to what Manchester United could offer attacking the other way. Um, and we know how important fullback plays in the modern game too. I, I just think, Andrew, this is a kind of mixed together squad of players. I, I do agree with some United fans where I, th- I think it's time now to look to move on Pogba. It's time to find other solutions other than McTominay and Matic in the side. You may have to go into the market again for a centre back and a full back. Uh, I like, I do like some of the forwards that they have, but it's just not working, man. And and well, don't don't worry because this time next year they're going to have Holland and Sancho. Oh yeah, absolutely because because we know the great relationship they've fostered with Mina Raiola, so that's definitely going to happen. Before we before we get off this. I am aware of the boardroom issues. I am aware of of Woodward and, and the scouting network and everything that's not right at United. But there's the other side that, I mean, Solskjaer spent around £270 million sterling. I don't know how many $100 million that is. That's a lot of money. He's had he's had players and he's had time, and I think it's time's up. Oof, scathing. Uh, a couple other matches that I wanted to kind of quickly go through. Liverpool get by West Ham. They go top of the table. Uh, boy, West Ham have been a thorn in a lot of big club sides so far this season. It looked like they were, I mean, they were in Liverpool's, but Liverpool, unlike some of these other clubs, um, they were able to find the their way through in the end. They did. They ripped it right on out. Um, boy, JJ, just watching this. So when Liverpool signed Diogo Jota, I don't know that I knew what to make of that. And, you know, we talked about almost surprised that he would want to make that move because you know this this player who was so promising does he want to now take almost a step back in that you know his his place in the team is going to be in no way guaranteed liverpool like are this finely oiled machine why would they mess with that uh, but man when i start to think about who my kind of most pleasant surprise signings are so far of this uh, early part of the season he is he has forced his name near the top of that list yeah, and I, he's come into games and made impacts, you know, in a way that maybe Minamino hasn't quite got to that pitch left. He's he, Yet he's got there early and he's been very good. Look at his debut against Arsenal, Andrew. Look at the impact he had straight away. Um, and I love him when he carries the ball at defenders. He, he does give us something even a little bit different. He's the low center of gravity. He can play passes. He's just been excellent, really. He really has. And um, a very prescient signing. Because as much as I like them at Wolves, you're always thinking with Liverpool, how do you dislodge any of that front three? How do things change? And right now, the conversation is now about Firmino. Maybe Jota comes in in his his stead in some rejigging of that. Is it possible Shaqiri 
who has been resurrected from the dead over the weekend or maybe in the last few games, he plays a role and that Bobby Firmino gets a rest. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the Firmino thing, this this is real? Has his play dropped precipitously in a way where he would be talked about being removed from this formula that has been so important for Liverpool? You've talked about Firmino in particular as being the most important player. Yeah, and I, and I do think, and when I look at, if you want to say that in the last few weeks, Liverpool have been a, a tad off. They've not just quite clicked in the way that we usually see them do. Part of that is because I don't think it's quite going Bobby Firmino's way. But Andrew, that happens. We've had ye- seasons, years of, of him doing a very important job for this team, linking that forward line. And a dip in form, it's possible. I, I don't think he's as bad as, like, obviously my WhatsApp blows up during every game. So I get plenty of Liverpool, my Liverpool supporting friends who have comments about him and they think he needs a rest. Maybe I'm being influenced by them a little bit, but yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe there's no harm. I saw you had some kind of uh Twitter freak out uh, where you, it almost looked like you were lashing out against other Liverpool fans. W- what happened there? Talk to me. Um, that drop off I talked about um, again, Liverpool Twitter fans probably wouldn't be the same way when you talk to them in, in person, but there was kind of an entitlement about performance, an expectation that we're going to be barnstorming every single game or that we're not going to have periods where we drop off. Like where form dips a little bit and then the kind of toys come out of the pram and I get very, um, I, I, I don't know. I remember, I remember when things were a lot worse. <laughs> and so that conditions you to, to realize we're top of the league right now. We're the reigning <laughs> league champions. <laughs> And, you know, we've had some adversity. You know, the idea that it's going to be plain sailing forever. You know, what did you say to me last season? You said last season all the way through, JJ, the only thing that's going to stop them right now is that I don't think they're that deep. And and even if I do think they are that deep, you said injuries will do it. They haven't had major injuries. Liverpool have had, we've had so much luck, Liverpool have had, up until the last month. Right. And I just don't like the entitlement. Like surely supporting your club is about the ride, the ups, the downs. I mean, if it's if if it's all about getting to be successful and then never having anything else other than success, I don't think I, I want to know about it. And again, let me just stress what you said moments ago that Liverpool are okay. <laughs> I think you that's know? important to mention. Uh I, last thing that I, I wanted to ask about Liverpool, uh, obviously there's gonna be a microscope on central defense for them with Virgil van Dyke being out for the what we assume is the remainder of the season, although I guess that's not definite. Um the first goal for West Ham, Joe Gomez ball played into the box, headed it directly to Fornals, who then slotted in. I know mm. on the broadcast, I forget who was it Jim Beglin, who was very harsh. Yeah, Joe Beglin. Gomez. Uh, like and that header that Beglin's criticisms look I'm not I'll defer to him like he, he knows better than me it seemed a little bit harsh to me I feel like it was you know po- like I guess Gomez needs to head that ball back kind of like from whence it came correct rather than, anywhere rather than, else right anywhere. rather than like into the kind of the middle uh of the pitch uh and you know unfortunately like it's it's a not not a super smart play by him and luck was against him in that Fornells happened to just be there like it was almost like a perfect pass to him. Um, that aside, what would you say? It seemed like Liverpool's central defense held up fairly well, I think. Well, we saw a debut for Nathaniel Phillips, who at 23 I knew nothing about, absolutely nothing about. 
And um, I thought he came in and did well. Uh, it, you're asking me how the defense is held up until we have like a permanent partner for Gomez. Like, because it's been, it was um, it was Williams the week before against Michelin. So I, I don't know yet. Uh, so far, so good. But until we have a permanent partner, I don't. I, I really can't answer that question. Uh, let's see. Newcastle, JJ, get all three points against Everton. And uh, this was, I take, look, I, I take no, well, I'm not going to say that. I had said that injuries would be a concern for Everton and depth would be a concern for Everton. Uh, and I, I had mentioned Hamas Rodriguez in particular as a player who just didn't see that much action over the course of the last few seasons. And for Everton to achieve what it was their fans were starting to believe this team was capable of achieving, and perhaps they are, um, he's going to have to play a lot. Uh, he missed this match yeah. and in attack, they look, they look feeble. They didn't, they just didn't have that playmaking ability. It wasn't just him not there. Obviously Richarlison finishing out his red card suspension. Um, but look at how so Gomez, Andre, we talk about injuries, Andrew, Andre Gomez has not fully come back from his horror injury yet. And his, his, I mean, I, I, I saw, I saw a tweet on Everton, one of the Everton site, um, uh, fan sites and it was like he was he was finding passes against the advertising hoarding all game long like he he couldn't get it done and Gomez and Sigurdsson supporting Calvert-Lewin in behind is not something Everton fans would want to see but but we called it earlier like everything goes through Rodriguez from the get-go and when he's not in the side they are they are they revert to what they were last season a lot more right and it's going to be the challenge for that you know, for that coaching staff to try to find other ways to make this work when those players aren't available. One thing I want to say about Newcastle, um, the uh, the addition of Callum Wilson has been important for them. Uh, this was a club last season who, who was it? John Joe Shelby led them in scoring with like four goals. Uh, and, you know, Callum Wilson has come in. They, they clearly needed that option up front after Joe Linton proved to not be suitable last season. They went out and they got Wilson, who I think that was a nice value buy for them. Uh, a player who we had seen what he was capable of in past seasons, but that they were kind of getting him on the low ebb of yes. his career arc because of a, a, what was, a, by his standard, a very, very poor season last year with Bournemouth, and Bournemouth suffered because of it. They're gone. Um, and so Newcastle took a chance on him, and he's it's it's paying dividends. Two goals for him in this game, uh, one from the penalty spot where he's he's been solid this season for them. Um and so I think, you know, right out of the gate, we're seeing that that signing for a club that like goals come at a premium. Uh, so he's been he's been vital for Newcastle so far. I, I put him in a list of three, uh, including Ollie Watkins at Aston Villa and Daniel Podence at Wolves of signings that I think have done quite well or have stood out to me in the early part of the season. Uh, and I'll use that moment as a transition for... Uh, the other game I wanted to mention here, which was uh, Tottenham scoring late against Brighton. You know, when we're talking about signings uh, that have come good for clubs, and you mentioned Tottenham, obviously you want to quickly go right to Gareth Bale, who scored the winner for Spurs in this game off the bench. It's a, it could be a huge goal for them. We'll see how the season transpires. You know, you want to talk about uh, Reguillon, who's come over and at fullback has been great for Tottenham so far. But JJ, there's another name that I would mention who has been, who I believe objectively has been Tottenham's best signing so far, both in how he's played and the value for which he was purchased, and that's Hoybjerg. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, who he is. Like I always talk about the most successful years for Tottenham under Pochettino, they had a Musa Dembele figure who you know 
could pick out a pass, who could control possession, who could win back possession when Tottenham lost it in the midfield and immediately spring an attack. And Hoybeard is doing those things for them right now. Um, and on top of that, he cost them essentially $3 million. And he's been one of the better midfield signings in the league so far this season. He was 15, but Tottenham sent Kyle Walker-Peters back to Southampton and got 12 for him. So it was really a £3 million transaction for this guy. And he has been, I mean, look, aside from Harry Kane and, and Youngman's son, who have been next level great, Hoybeard has probably been their, their next best player after those two. And uh, so I'll throw his name into the mix for for great signings so far as well. Yeah, and, and look... Again, this we seem to be getting into this pattern where by the end of the season, JJ will be eating a large amount of, of humble pie. Someone told me to eat crow the other day, but I, I prefer to eat pie. Um, <laughs> uh, 503 passes for Brighton in this game. Uh, 300, only 387 for Spurs. And this was at home for Spurs. And a 57% possession. So Brighton now possessed Spurs in this game. But what we're seeing is that the organization and I suppose Spurs' ability to be creative with these players that they have, regardless of maybe the way they are sent out to play, is quite interesting. Um, the signings have been brilliant. They really have. And they've kind of transformed the team that was, let's be honest, uh, I think I saw... Mike L. Goodman tweet about them saying now that it's Spurs fans were so intent on hating on Mourinho mm-hmm. and now they have to deal with the fact that he's actually, you know, that Spurs are now good under him. But when you think how insipid they were at times in the last season and the, the targeted signings that they've made, and I give the front office full credit for that. They've really made this team into something that Spurs fans can be I I think the expect expectations should be really high, but I've said that already. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Uh, I certainly do. And then one other match to mention, JJ uh, Leicester City and Leeds, um, which took place on Monday. Uh, Andrew, kind of kind of Leeds' first humbling since their return. I I think you're correct, and and at the hands of of the 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 humbler in chief, um, Andrew. Can you imagine Brendan Rodgers, how he feels right now, having beaten Bielsa, Guardiola, and the guy who Arsenal went for over him in Miguel Arteta this season already? The character right now must be tremendous. <laughs> yeah. How many, I mean, look, not, one can only wonder how many new self-portraits he's commissioned uh, in the last week. Nine goals against Bielsa and Guardiola sides. Uh, for 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 Brendan Rodgers, Leicester City, give him credit. You have to give him credit. That is that is particularly impressive. Um, I think a good point was made by John Bruin that if you want to find a way to beat Guardiola and Bielsa teams, it's good to have Jamie Vardy in the side. Yeah, he certainly helps. Although, and because he was fantastic, and he's just proving now to be this kind of ageless wonder. Not that he's like a dinosaur, but he's not. I don't know. We just kind of like keep waiting for this statistical drop off that is just showing no signs of coming. Uh, but even aside from just him, um, Yuri Tielemont was really mm. good for Leicester City. He scored two for them. Um, positionally, he was great. Uh, and so, you know, they're they're not going to go away. <laughs> they're not, As long as they're healthy, they are going to continue to be a force near the top of this table. And also, it, it just goes to, to, to show you that if you can have a speedster or, and a finisher and... 
you play a team like Leeds or Man City who are going to leave all that space in behind. I remember I, I heard Robbie Earl speak about this. If you can play accurate balls into the channels in behind and get them turned around, beat that press, you're always going to create opportunities. I think Leeds will still win more games than they lose, but you know there's always a chance they'll take a humbling like that. And, and so it was at the weekend, or yesterday yeah. rather. Yep. Uh, let's see. I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, there's a little bit of Barcelona news that I think we have to dive into, which is interesting to me. Also, some MLS, the Supporters Shield. It was right there. It was right there, JJ. They could have done it, and they didn't. And we have a mailbag to get to as well. Much, much, much more caught offside. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now. Caught offside. Uh, let's see. Let's go now. Um, as I mentioned before, JJ, Barcelona. Um, they just, at least domestically, we should say, in La Liga, they are just having a hard time getting going. Um, and against teams, I mean, look, we can all, I guess, to a certain extent, even though Real Madrid aren't quite the dominant side that you know we pictured them to be on, in the Ronaldo years, um, you know, we can so, we can somewhat excuse that. But some of these other defeats and, and draws that Barcelona are taking, it's just not. It's just not in character with what we have known the Messi era of Barcelona to be. And I think some people are having a hard time wrapping their minds around what exactly is going on there. Yeah, I mean, Barcelona are in some ways still doing, you know, Barcelona things. They're 80% of the ball, 25 shots. I mean, 25 shots should not result in a 1-1. Um, the, the well, their extra- fan base, their fan base will tell you this is like what you're describing is exactly what happens when you deem Neymar no longer an important part of what you need, to, what you're going to be doing. You know, players who are elite finishers, you know, right. Suarez, and that, and the Suarez thing isn't entirely Barcelona's fault. I mean, I suppose they just viewed him as a player who was out of his prime and they were ready to move on from. But without suitable players behind right. these guys to come in and finish, like th- these are numbers that you're going to continue to see. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, the backdrop was pretty good going into this game. They had beaten Juventus in the Champions League. Bartomeu was on his way out, although he had dropped the grenade about how he pretty much signed the club up for the European Super League. Bye. <laughs> did you? I, I meant to ask you, did you ever watch the old Batman? You remember like with Adam West? Movie? Yeah, the camp Batman, like the 60s one. Where like, like suddenly start bubbles and say like Bam and Pal. Yeah, do you remember the Joker? He was just such an amazing character. The, uh, I, I think it was him anyway. Most of the, the the bad guys did this. The Joker would like drop something, he'd cackle, and then he'd throw a smoke bomb, spin around, and he'd be gone. And Batman would be unable to get through this this quite clearly fake smog. That's what Bartomeu did. He said, "Oh, I'm leaving." But I'm leaving you in the Super League. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and then he's gone. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know if Ronald Koeman is going to survive, Andrew. Um, I don't think he's going to make Christmas personally. It's, um, yeah, it's so headed in that direction. It really is. Did you hear what Joaquin, um, who was, I think he may have even been captain of Valencia, uh, when Ronald Koeman w- had his ill-fated period as manager there. Did you hear what he said? No. Um, Champions League voice. It was not the most beautiful experience of my sports career. It was not a pleasant experience. But as I always say, one has to live with everything. And that happened at that time. I do not want to talk about this issue because honestly, it hurts me uh, what happened then. I had a bad time. And then uh, he was asked, 
by the presenter of whatever show he was on, would he recommend Cumin for a job at Real Betis? And he replied, not even as a kit man. <laughs> well, that doesn't get much stronger than that. That's uh, yeah, I, I, I worry as well for Cumin. And then I saw this. So I was kind of just, oh, hum-de-dum, scrolling through Twitter mindlessly, deedle-dee. And then, JJ, I get to this tweet from uh, Arlo White who was commenting on a tweet and he Arlo wrote this off of a tweet. He said, quote, the biggest story in English football that isn't being talked about. And it was a link to another tweet. And I thought, Hmm, well, that's intriguing. So I obviously clicked on it and JJ was a link to a video uh, from BT sport. And they're talking about Barcelona's managerial future with one of them saying Victor font, the uh, potential new president of Barcelona is already saying that he, Pep Guardiola is the man they want. Pep, of course, JJ is in his final year of a contract at Manchester City. Ooh. Do you feel that the writing is on the wall? This is the question that was being posed uh, on BT Sport, the article that that or the video that Arlo White was linking to. Okay, I I don't think Pep wants to go back to Barcelona. No, no. I I think well, he maybe look. We okay. Well, let's say let's at least start with with the idea of we've now spoken. Somewhat at length over the idea of Pep's, like the the sand is running quickly through the hourglass of his time at Manchester City. Right. And so let's at least, we'll start with that as the baseline. So again, like many great players that we talk about, Mbappe, Holland, there's only a few clubs that these guys can go to. Correct. And the same applies for certain managerial candidates, Pep being of that caliber, where there are really only a few clubs that he can go to and be the manager of. And Barcelona, obviously, uh, is one of them from his previous history there um, and his level of success. And so, like, who are the – like, there's no other club in Spain that I could envision him going to. Um, PSG, I guess, would be on that list. Yes, uh, it would. If they have any – if the Champions League goes poorly for them, uh, they could emerge as a possible candidate. But, like – you know he's already been at Bayern, and I don't see him returning there with the success that they're having, unless something really unforeseen happens. So, uh, it it's almost by like unless he's just going to take time off and recede kind of into like a, a a pundit role for a year or two, recharge and then come back. It almost seems like this is the puzzle piece that fits. Do you think he come to? He, remember his last sabbatical was spent large part por- portion of it was spent here in New York City. Hmm. Maybe he'll come manage NYCFC. I, I hear what you're saying. Maybe there's an option there with the Agnellis and all the money they have at Juventus. Maybe he, when Pirlo eventually blazes out, that that's what happens. I just, you, I want to go back to your hourglass analogy. The, the sand is running out of his Man City hourglass. But does that mean he goes to a dustier, older hourglass that may have a crack in it and he turns that over again? I mean... Is it possible for him to go back? There's a rebuild job at City that he may not want to do. Why would he want to go into Barcelona and do that? Totally fair point. You're right. It's it's a natural question to ask unless he's assured of certain things, right? You know, I.e., transfers uh, that will be incoming that you know he can hand pick. Uh, you're right. Barcelona going to Barcelona now is is it feels like a precarious spot for a manager to go to where where a, a prominent manager's legacy could get hurt by having to undertake a rebuild at a club that is not used to rebuilding. And also, he he would have to then uh, find a formula to work with Lionel Messi again 
a, a, a much changed Messi from the last one that he had. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's also in the week or the last few days, uh, Kike Setien was talking about how Messi was difficult to work with. So there we go. Gee, I'm shocked that a manager would feel that way about a uh, all-encompassing superstar who is bigger than the club and maybe even the sport. Surprised that Kike Setien would find that hard to work with. He's dropping uh, those gems of knowledge. Let's see a couple MLS things, JJ. As we, uh, as the, the the sands of the season are now winding through the hourglass. Can we, can we drop the sand analogy? Okay. Mm, no, I must find ways to shoehorn it into the show at all costs. Um, Decision day is nearly upon us, JJ, but the Philadelphia Union had a chance to win the Supporter Shield this past weekend, their first trophy. And I wonder if this club is now starting to develop a bit of a reputation as not being able to win the big game. Uh, They've had a few appearances in MLS Cup Finals that they have not won. They obviously went deep into the MLS's back tournament in Orlando, um, only to fall short there. And now here they were on the doorstep of taking the Supporter Shield. It's 1-1. In Columbus, an admittedly good Columbus team on the road. It's not like this is an easy assignment for the Union. Right. uh, But the the crew do score relatively late and go on and win 2-1. And so the Union will have to wait a week for another chance. Now, they do still control their own destiny as they are currently tied with Toronto, but ahead on the second tiebreaker. Um, So a, a win, presumably, this weekend will be enough against New England at home in Philadelphia will be enough for them to uh, to take the supporter shield. But this was frustrating against Columbus, primarily for one reason. You want to get it done now. Well, of course. Of course there's that. But the problem is, the thing that I found most frustrating for them is that um, Andre Blake has been just the, uh, like the rock for this club. Uh, in net, we saw it in the in the the tournament in Orlando. We've seen it throughout the course of the season. We've seen it in past seasons. He's a fantastic goalkeeper, and he's playing at his highest level. And then he goes out injured late in their last game, and so now you got your backup in there for the games that matter most. As the Union are embarking upon this quest to take to win some kind of trophy of some sort, and I'm not saying that the goals that were scored against them by Columbus were easy saves or or blatant mistakes, but like they're on the line, like they're, they're close enough where I feel like, okay, like the first goal, you know, maybe Blake is just quicker to react and able to, to claw that away somehow. Um, you know, the second goal, the ball that's played in, there's just like a little bit of indecisiveness at keeper. Maybe Blake is just quicker to come out and punch that before the cross makes its way across the mouth of goal and, and tapped in for the, for what was the winner. Like these are not, I don't know if these are egregious errors, but they are the sort of they're the sort of moments that I feel like an elite goalkeeper who is playing at his most elite makes a play there and at least stops maybe one of those. And so you it's see- frustrating that the union are now in this moment where it feels like they're on the brink of something really important and can achieve something that they have not achieved before. And they don't have this guy who has been such a huge part of getting them to this point. And we see this, they're not unique to this. Like this happens to teams all the time. It's just, but it is frustrating for, for the sons of Ben, I'm sure. I think you make a good point about goalkeepers in general, though. Is there another position, maybe striker, where you'd say, oh, you would have finished that? You know, where you see the game, and as the game develops, you see a player who's a replacement for another player, like a fullback, and you think, oh, he done all right tonight. He did okay. He'll get that. A goalkeeper doesn't get to get that okay. I did all right. He was... You're ultimately he'll get blamed, or you'll always dwell, and I know you're not blaming him, but you'll always dwell on that Oh, Andre Blake would have got there. 
Andre Blake is saving that. It's always there in the back of your mind. And that's just the problem with goalkeepers, really. Right. Their mistakes are magnified. Oh. You're right. The, the fullback's mistake could then, like, the, the center back can cover for him and clear it out for a throw-in, and we all forget that it ever happened. Right. But yeah. when you're in when you're in goals, it's it's a different formula. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, like we said, the Supporter Shield race is, is wide open as Toronto took advantage, won their match 2-1. Uh, so they remain tied. Like I said, it, points per game is how this is going to be settled, which yes. was really the, the the only option given you know the circumstances of the way this season has played out. Uh, so it'll come down to the final day. Um, Columbus and Portland are both still technically a part of this race. They have midweek games that they have they have to win out each of their uh, those two and get some help in terms of score lines uh, for Philadelphia and Toronto. Should those two lose, they obviously both need. Uh, to lose for Columbus and Portland to have their chance. Um, So that is, you know, there's obviously a lot more at stake on the final day, but there's midweek matches. So permutations could change and so on and so forth. Uh, One other thing to mention about Portland, this is now like how many weeks in the last month have I come on and said, I just wonder if this injury will be a bridge too far now. Oh my word. And it's just, I'm like another huge, crucial damaging injury to the front line for this club. Like, first of all, the depth that they have up front to have been able to seemingly withstand each of these injuries and continue to march forward as they are. I have immense respect for, for the club, for the coaching staff, for the team that they put together. But now uh, Yaroslav Niesgoda is out with a torn ACL. He'll miss the remainder of the 2020 season. It's just like, I mean, this has just been like a tidal wave of misfortune that has hit them at just like the worst time. And I wonder, is it going to just stop at, at the Portland Timbers? Because you see three games in eight days, how many teams are playing so many games back to back. And you wonder about fatigue and the role that has in, 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 in leading to these injuries. And I know an ACL can be a catastrophic thing. I've had two of them myself, and it doesn't necessarily mean you've been playing three games in eight days and you're tired. But you wonder now if... if if this season will come down to that, if if somebody who can just happen to stay freshest, stay fittest, and and they'll have the biggest say in the postseason because, I mean, the Timbers just have been cursed. Yeah, and fortunately for them, because I talked about the Jeremy Ebobisi injury a couple weeks ago before we knew the severity of whatever it was, he seems to be fine, so they can still rely on him. But Bronco right. and now this injury, um, these are just, you know, these are crucial blows as we prepare for playoff time. Uh, so it's... If you're a Portland fan right now, my sympathy to you because this has been this has been frustrating for a team that you think could go off and pull pull off this kind of like season double of the the MLS is back and then an MLS Cup and who knows maybe even a treble should they find a way to uh, it's going to take a lot but the supporter shield like I said is still mathematically possible for them as well and then one other MLS note to mention the LA Galaxy they do what we had kind of been talking about what was being rumored uh the manager is gone Guillermo Barros Chaleto he is out um as the Galaxy season has just it's just gone so poorly never found a way to make it work with Chicharito uh which I'm sure you know while you and others that were of a similar mind to you are not surprised to see that I'm sure upper management there finds that unacceptable right which I can also understand and so now uh, who is it? Dominic Kinnear is taking over in the interim, but JJ, a, uh, a very prominent LA Galaxy legend, is being talked about as maybe a more permanent replacement. Is it Robbie Keane's time, Andrew? That is the question. Um, I would, I would lay out the case that it is not. Um, Why is I, that? Well, let's just look at 
at his very, very brief managerial or coaching career, rather. He's never been a senior coach anywhere. That's the first thing. Um, he was part of Jonathan Woodgate's dream team ticket at Middlesbrough. They won only nine of their 41 games before being replaced last season by Neil Warnock. Um, he's done some, Keane has done some coaching with the Republic of Ireland. He told Jamie Carragher in April on Sky Sports during uh, the first lockdown that he would complete his UEFA Pro license in May. That's just passed. Now, I don't know, has coronavirus inhibited that? Has he completed his pro license? Just don't know. Uh, the trends are looking good for him because we see uh, clubs, uh, well, not all clubs, but certain clubs have leaned towards former club legends and hiring them. And is there a bigger legend in, L- in LA Galaxy's history than Robbie Keane? Maybe only David Beckham, someone else like that. Um, yeah. Landon Donovan, I, I guess it would harness a lot of goodwill from the fans, but when there's no fans in the stadium, is that harder to harness? I'm personally, and you know I love Robbie Keane, I just don't think he has the resume to, to get this job. And there will be people back home who have limited knowledge of MLS and they'll say, oh, look, it's MLS. He'll be able to learn there. There's no trap door. There's nothing to worry about relegation-wise. He'll be able to find his feet. Will he? I don't think so. LA Galaxy is a team that expects to be very, very good very, very quickly. And um, I I don't know. He's just, he's a real unknown quantity as a coach, Andrew, because he hasn't done any. Fair. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. You're right. I can't sit here and say, no, it should definitely be him because he scored a lot of goals there. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You're right. It'll win the press conference. Oh, um, the, and, but, and but does that win games? I don't know. No. And and um, the same reservations I would have had about uh, Andrea Perlo are the same things I'll be. I mean, look, it is important who we would bring in as a first team coach. That would be a massive thing for him and could take the pressure off while he finds his feet. But I'm not making that higher. Uh, yeah, let's see now. We will bring it down the stretch. You have a mailbag here. It's uh, I see a lot of tweets, beautiful pictures, uh, really nice, well laid out. Proud of what you did here. <laughs> oh, I love how you patronize me as we go into the final part of the show. Um, at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com via the email, and caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram. Go follow us there because that's where the hip kids are. Robert at Sunny SoCal Rob. I put out a question to Andrew earlier, but since he didn't respond, typical hits the working class people, he can just use First the mailbag. Off, to- do you know that Robert Sunny SoCal is working class? You don't know anything I, about his background. Oh, I know a lot about his background. I know a lot. He's a fine, fine American, and uh, you've uh, mistreated him. With Halloween over, which horror movie scared him the most as a child, Andrew? Hmm. Well, I've never, this will surprise no one to hear. Um, I've never been a huge horror movie guy. Um, however, when I think about, so I, I wouldn't say that it scared me, but I like my age was just perfect for Scream. Like, oh, I yeah. just loved it. I just loved that movie. I liked that too. It was yeah. the unknown of Scream. It was just very, it was like very fun. It was a fun horror movie. And like I said, I was just like at the right age to enjoy it. Um, the first movie, I so this is, this is the worst answer ever to this question, but the first movie that I can think of where I was like, it, where I was like in bed at night, the lights are out and I got scared. <laughs> uh, I think I was in third or fourth grade. And I had just seen uh, Jurassic Park, which oh, again, my. not a horror movie. And I but know it was the like, 
but it was like one of the first times when I like saw a movie where people died so horrifically and <laughs> like just toilet. right. That scene in particular, a man being lifted off the toilet and swallowed whole by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Like that, there were just like certain parts of that movie that just like stuck with me for a week. Right. And so like, again, not a horror movie, terrible answer to the question, but like that was a movie that I, I remember kind of like sheepishly walking into my mom and dad's room and being like, I, I can't sleep. I'm scared of dinosaurs. I so, knew. yeah. And you were scared of, of Earth's 2020 version of the dinosaur, which is the alligator. You absolutely despise alligators. You're Well, I have, I've had recurring nightmares about them, but yeah, I, right. I don't hate them as a, as a thing. Like when I went to South Carolina, I was fascinated by them. I saw t- hundreds of them and, you know, I, I would observe them and, and be in awe of them. Uh, but I, I don't hate them. All right. Calm down, Richard Attenborough. <laughs> what a guy he is. I just saw a special on, on him. 60 oh, minutes at a profile. What a guy. Absolutely amazing. Um, I, I'm just going to answer that because uh, I, I, have, I have a terrible answer to this. I saw an awful movie called The Fourth Kind about alien abductions. I only saw it 10 years ago, and to this day, it frightens me. Mila Jovovich is in it. I thought I, thought I would be safe with Mila. I was, I was not safe. Um, James Colton Kelly. How are you, sir? If you could be a legendary player for your favorite club, what era would you like to play in? And James is a Spurs fan and he'd like to play with Jimmy Greaves. Oh, that's a great answer to that question. In the 1960s or the other one would be with Bale and the boys from the 2010s, thus covering every single Spurs legend ever. (laughs) Doesn't his name, I'm sorry to do this, James, like couldn't you easily envision that name being read on the news as like a serial killer has been has been caught has been apprehended. Oh, I was going to go way different with that. I was going to go as we look into the future of the electoral college. Let's go to the historian Professor James Colton Kelly of Harvard. No, I I see that clearly as um, uh, assassin James Colton Kelly was apprehended at a rest stop in Knoxville earlier today. Nicknamed the Spursy Killer. Because it took him four shots to kill anyone. Why do you do this? We're having fun. We're just trying to be friends, and you you take it to places that make it unfun for me. Here's Um, he's come on. He's a Spurs fan. Go for it. Yeah, uh, my answer. His his answer of the '60s is a great answer. I think I would probably be more likely to say now, though, just because of the like Spurs have gone like this trophyless streak is now a thing whether it's ripe for mockery or if it's just like this unattainable goal that Spurs fans feel is like just barely out of grasp. And I feel like if you're now one of the star players of the team that does it, you're kind of going to be immortalized forever within that club. Uh, So I think that I would, I think now would be the time, but I, 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 that's a question I think about a lot, not just with soccer, but like, right. Like sometimes I'll just see footage and I'm not a Yankees fan by any stretch of the imagination, but sometimes I'll just see footage from like, a 1950s, 60s Yankees game. And like, you see like Mickey Mantle and and like how cool it would have been to just like be a part. Like that's, that's not even sports history. That's like American history. Oh my God. It, Andrew, I, I watched a interview Bob Costas did with Mickey Mantle the other day. Randomly, it popped up on my YouTube and he talked about, um, the vastness of his career and, and also his, his problems with alcohol. But I did, it showed footage of him like at Ebbets field or somewhere, just like hitting the ball. And you're like, Oh man, 
maybe it wasn't Ebbets Field, but somewhere anyway. And I'd be like, oh, how cool would that have been? Although I wouldn't have liked to have run like him. He had a rather w- weird running gait. Well, he had a, he had a knee problem. Oh. Um, so that could have been part of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's. I, w- I would have gone for 85, 86 Liverpool just so I could wear the short shorts and that amazing crown paint jersey. You can still uh, do that. I mean, I, you, I could. The, the full kit W that you are I, just walking around your apartment. Oh, uh, my friend Colby from the uh, Liverpool Supporters Club in Brooklyn, he went full kit clop for Halloween over the weekend. And he does look kind of like him. I'll post the, the glasses. Did, did he like paste on bulging eyes, like on the glasses to really. I got to send you the picture. All right. He looks like a younger Klopp. He really does. Okay. Uh, Tim Stark. <laughs> you found yourself. I told people to be creative and they really have been. You found yourself in a life or death scenario based upon winning a single football match, 11 v 11. Which forward line are you choosing to lead the line and save your life? Harry Kane. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Marcus Rashford, Mo Salah, or Jamie Vardy? Uh, Kane, and it's and for me, I don't even know that it's close. I think that highly of him. Uh, Salah-Vardy is a great debate yeah. for where I would go next. <sighs> Andrew, I flipped this question. I think this is much funnier. If you try and pick the striker, you wouldn't want to have to score to save your life. And I just had this vision of you and you're, you're like tied to a chair and there's, yeah. there's some kind of device is about to stick a ball through your head. If the back of the net is not hit in this game and who's warming up to come on Vincent Janssen. <laughs> uh, so it's like speed and like Vincent Janssen is behind the wheel of the bus. Yeah. And you're Dennis Hopper just laughing maniacally in some apartment somewhere who would be the Dennis Hopper version in football of that? Pulling the strings, conspiring against me in some evil way? Well, so Dennis Hopper was was unhappy about the way he was let go in his job as a police officer. Wasn't that the premise? Yeah, I, b- I believe so. Right. So, so he was taking revenge on, on people and on the city, right? So who would be the Spurs manager that would do that? I mean... Andre Villas-Boas. Yeah, or like... Yeah. <laughs> maniacally laughing tim sherwood maybe like <laughs> a disgruntled tim sherwood it's martin yole yeah he, if there were people that felt bad like really that he did not deserve to be fired i could see him harboring some uh some vengeance um juan de ramos the last manager to have won spurs a trophy yeah, yeah. that's that's jack that's santini yeah. these are interesting very interesting names yeah, yeah. Um, all right Dave in North Carolina finishes us off today. Hey guys, love the pod. Just wondering about your football watching habits at the moment. Without crowds, or perhaps it's the pandemic, it's just not the same. Maybe it's the frequency with the Champions League beating us over the head week on week, but I'm not feeling it right now. Is anybody else feeling similar? Uh, that That is a great question. It's a completely legitimate question. My answer to that is is a little bit complex. I hope this makes sense. So I have found for your run-of-the-mill regular season, this is across all sports. I'm not even just talking about soccer. I'm talking basketball, football, whatever, and soccer too. For like your regular games, I have found that I feel relatively unchanged watching it. The crowd noise has tricked me. Like, I, you know, it's it's. I, there are moments where I'll forget that like there aren't fans there necessarily. Like I'll be able to just watch the game that I normally would. However, 
However, I believe for me personally, Dave in North Carolina is kind of how I feel as the games increase in importance. Like the NBA finals to me, like I enjoyed watching the NBA games, but then once it got to the finals, it felt it felt so unfinals like without any atmosphere, played in an arena that didn't make sense. Like, right. you know, with like that I became suddenly like more aware. The Champions League final, I felt similarly. I was like, this is not like the atmosphere of this is not befitting of the moment. Like that. So does that make sense that like as the importance of these games increase, I become more aware of the fact that like these are not normal times and that this is not how this game is supposed to look? Yeah. I had a chat with a prominent broadcaster recently, and it was the feeling to me was very clear that across the board, it is just not the same without fans. And I, I while I understand your point of view, I'm feeling it in every game, Andrew. I, I, I'm picking my games and being much more selective with the games I watch now. Um, it, it, there's something, it's just not right. And maybe it's the, the whole atmosphere uh, of society right now and the way things are with, with, with just the way our lives have been changed that have maybe, maybe that's the bigger impact rather than the crowds not being there. But I'm, I'm starting to feel it big time. Yeah, I get that. And look, don't get me wrong. I've, I've referenced multiple times on this podcast, the moments that have occurred in soccer where not having fans hurt the Calvert Lewin goal against Liverpool, Gareth Bale coming back to Spurs and scoring late to win. Like what that moment would have looked like for this fan base that is so you know, beyond happy to have him back in the fold. Like these are moments that, you know, unfortunately can't be rewritten uh, that will forever lack the soundtrack of an amazing response from a rabid fan base. Like that's, that is sad. And you're right. That is never far from, from anyone's mind watching this. Uh, So yeah, you're, you're right. Like I wouldn't fault anybody. I don't fault Dave from North Carolina who, who feels this way asking these games. And by the way, um, and I don't know if this fully applies to soccer, but like a lot of American sports, uh, TV ratings have reflected that uh, across the board. You know, the NBA, uh, like people have wanted to make it political, but like by the same token, sports that you know tend to lean liberal or conservative, they've they've all seen it. Golf, the U- the final round of the U.S. Open was exponentially down ratings wise. Uh, baseball, the World Series, these were the lowest ratings we've seen in in, in de- over a decade. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that has a lot to do with it. That people like the games just don't feel the same. I don't know if it's entirely just because of the the fans not being there, but it just something about it feels different to people, and they're having a hard time taking it in the same way that they would under normal circumstances. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been tough, man. It has. Now there is some tasty games today: Atalanta versus Liverpool, uh, Real Madrid versus Inter Milan, Salzburg playing uh, Bayern Munich. So look. I I get people take solace in it, but I, I kind of, I side with Dave right now. It's something, it's just not the same. Yep. I, I get that. I get that. Uh, well, hey, this was fun, man. I enjoyed this. Uh, I'm looking forward to, obviously, next week when we reconvene, we'll be able to look back on the uh, uh, MLS Decision Day. And also next week, like we talked about, we have the U.S. men to look forward to, where I'm sure that will be a Thursday emergency podcast in addition to whatever our normal situation is earlier in the week. Oh, um, that sounds good. Yeah. Because mm. America is back. Oh, yeah. by the way, we need to get our sounds together, man. We need our uh, sounds back. What am I supposed to do? Just like, oh, there they are. Cool. You're supposed I to be my fingers earlier. You're supposed to be the technician. Am I? Yes. <laughs> you would just assign me that role. 
I am. I'm signing you that role, my friend. You are the most talented of this of the bunch, and and you got to get it together. Well, hey, this was fun. Uh, I enjoyed this. I always do. JJ, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 